welcome to the CG Pro podcast. Um, this is a uh, brand new episode today. We've got Wolfie, I will introduce in just a second. Um, feel free to like and subscribe and follow us on becomecgpro.com. Um, yeah, today, very pleased to welcome Wolfie. Um, been really looking forward to this conversation. And uh, Wolfie is a good friend, um, also works with us in a teaching capacity. And but Wolfie's a, a very talented DP, <clears throat> has come up through the ranks in the world of filmmaking. Um, has worked with some amazing people from Michelle Gondry, um, Spike Johns, and uh, done a lot of different types of work, lots of features, including uh, Iron Man 3 and uh, all kinds of cool stuff, Interstellar, you know, lots and lots of cool things to speak about there. But um, yeah, welcome, Wolfie. It's great to great to have you here. Ah, nice, nice to be here. And yeah, some of those credits are uh, me coming up through the ranks doing uh, set lighting and all of that. You know, uh, my latest cinematographer credits are uh, Mr. Spam Gets a New Hat uh, by Dneg which was a uh, short film uh, directed by William Joyce, Academy Award-winning uh, short film director. And uh, that was done in all in Unreal Engine. And uh, was, uh, I was a digital cinematographer on that. So that's one of the yeah. most, uh, most uh, recent projects I've done. And then uh, a lot of stuff for uh, um, demos for Mosis, the uh, capture company and doing commercials for them and all that. So yeah, it's been a fun ride, you know? Yeah, it's really. I've been really looking forward to this because you're you're, you've really, as you said, come up through the ranks and really got to know filmmaking through lighting, which is an incredible way to understand how film is made and and cinematography, uh, particularly within that. Um, but you <clears throat> now have this kind of unique perspective in virtual production because you're involved in it so much and not <clears throat> not as many cinematographers. Not many cinematographers yet have um, got to understand what that is, what's how it's useful. So I'm really excited to to talk to you about that as we as we move forwards. But um, I'd love to love to hear a little bit about your. You've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but you're a little bit about your journey to this point and how kind of how you got into the industry and what um, what kind of drove you, what inspired you to get into it. I think it's really. Um, a lot of our listeners, are, I know, are in the industry, but some people aren't, and some people are wanting to make changes. So I think it's always really inspiring to hear about um, how how you did what you did and what influenced your decisions and that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, you know, uh, one of the things about like uh, you know the the focus being uh, virtual production. You know, it's uh, yeah, I tell people uh, you know virtual production. You know, it's not rocket science, right? Because rocket science has a dedicated body of knowledge and people who will teach it to you easily accessible. So it's way easier to be a rocket scientist. <laughs> like, like virtual yeah, there's, a, there's a well-trodden path to being a rocket scientist. Virtual <laughs> yeah, exactly. production, not so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And decades and decades of, you know, institutional knowledge on how to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's uh? it's a, uh, it's a daunting task. Um, I started out as a, as a kid with uh, computers and I had a uh, Commodore 64, had a VIC-20 before that. And my, uh, my brothers who were uh, much older than I were going to UNM and they were doing computer science. So as a 10-year-old, my 18-year-old brothers, 20-year-old brothers were uh, uh, having access to online 
uh, abilities and we had a modem for my Vic 20. So I was actually like in, in hacker groups and I was like online in like 1981, 1982. And then with the Commodore 64, I ran a, a hacker bulletin board uh, for several years. And um, I, I got recruited as a white hat hacker into NASA. So I spent a summer breaking into NASA computers and got a little security clearance at 16 and all of that. So like <laughs> so cool. I had this, yeah, it was, it's neat, right? But I bring it up because at that time period, you know, it was computer use groups. We were taking a piece of technology that wasn't necessarily purposed for what we were doing with it. And we were doing extraordinary things with it, right? We were under the hood, you know, they made little video games. So the Commodore 64 had a special sound chip, but then phone freaks were able to exploit that sound chip to emulate operators. And we could take over trunk lines and make long distance phone calls. So, you know, but it was all just friends helping friends in these little like web group, you know, internet groups, you know, calling in with a modem and chat rooms, right? But there was this air of like, wow, this is a daring adventure. This technology, we're totally brand new and there's no, there's no roadmap. We're all just figuring it out and figuring out our hacks and sharing them against with each other. And you know, it was like, uh, you know, all, all in a spirit of knowledge and fun and exploration. And one of the things I love about virtual production is that's absolutely the environment. It reminds yeah. me, I feel very nostalgic working in virtual production because I feel like I'm 15 years old again. There's no roadmap. Uh, you know, your best friends are the smart dude that will share information with you and you share with them. And, you know, everybody's just, hey, what are the aha moments? What were your takeaways from the last thing? It's very exciting and it's very engaged and it's very daunting you know, and you really, you, you only survive on the good graces of your friends, you know, yeah. like this is a, this is a very collaborative uh, environment and you, to work in virtual production, you're going to be meeting people far outside your normal realm of specialty, you know, right. and that yeah. is always very exciting. You know, I'm meeting people who know more about camera sensors than I've ever read or ever heard spoken of working 26 years in cinematography and in lighting and on film sets, you know, the conversations with the people I have now who are, uh, you know, manufacturers of the, the camera sensors, manufacturers of scientific cameras that are now having conversations that are cross cross pollinating with virtual production, you know, latency speeds and all sorts of like, um, you know, color balancing issues, gray points, black points, like I'm learning so much more as a cinematographer, um, having taken on virtual production, you know, it's making me a better live action cinematographer. Um, and I, I find, I find that people in the conversations that I have, uh, very, very illuminating, you know, very, very, very interesting, very smart people. You know, this is, uh, this is not a, 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 an adventure for the faint of heart or the weak of mind, you know, how did you get, how did you get from, um, hacker to <clears throat> filmmaker yeah it's funny right so i i you know i had this east coast ticket to ride you know i had a uh you know security clearance at 16 you know being a, a computer security specialist back when people didn't even know what that was and everybody's password was password you know um <laughs> it was uh i i worked in that office that summer and i was like this is 
terrible. I'm like the office politics and the like going to the same little like, you know, dingy box to live in for the rest of your life and the types of conversations and like working with computers at that point, like I found really profoundly boring, you know? Like what, what more interesting, like I, uh, I had peaked at 16, what else am I going to do? Right. Like, and they're really just abacus. So it's like, what is the application of the computer? I've always, I love technology anywhere I've gone in my life, but it's always been, what's the emotional experience that that technology brings you. Right. The, the, I'm fascinated by really cool tools, but they're pointless without application. Right. So video walls, you know, like, you know, watching the Mandalorian and being like, how the hell did they do this on a TV budget? You know, like, oh, well, it's a Disney TV budget, first of all. But I was like, this is amazing work. Like the CG, I was just like, man, stuff's parallaxing. It's so believable and it's so good. And I'm like, I know how TV shot and like, you know, they're, they're on tight schedules. I'm like, there's some real interesting magic going on here, you know? So that was like seeing it in the field really was inspiring. You know, you're like, wow, this is bringing worlds alive. And this is like, this is empowering filmmakers to be able to create better stories, you know, in, in larger quantities, you know, some, some people are very much against technology helping out um, previously difficult tasks, right? Like when digital cameras came out, a whole slew of cinematographers are like, oh, this is garbage. Now you're just going to have more crap and lesser talented people are able to use the tools. And um, I, I'm not one of those people. I, I, I very much want power to the people. You know, I want YouTubers to look good. I want, you know, $5 million features to look good. I want $100 million features to look good. Um, I like that technology empowers artists, right? So I want people's creative vision to be done cheaper and, and, and easier. And, and that will empower more interesting stories at the far end of the bell curve to compete in the marketplace. You know, like the quality level has risen so that, you know, indie filmmakers can make, you know, a big blockbuster concept without necessarily, you know, big budget name actors or that kind of thing. You know, or you can do efficiencies where, you know, you have a concept that uses one Unreal Engine set and you spend, you know, a million dollars making an incredible one set virtual thing. And then you just rock that for the whole feature, you know, and it will look like a Marvel story. It'll just happen to be that the Marvel story will be all over the planet and on 20 different spaceships and a million different sets, whereas this story just stays inside its one narrow column. You know, so and I think that's one of the things that's coming down the pike with, you know, Unreal Engine getting better and better. You know, uh, Unreal 4 is sort of like still production prototype. You know, you have to really wrestle Unreal 4 to make it look super photorealistic and run cleanly and efficiently on a video wall. Whereas like, you know, you see Unreal 5, the Lumen and the, the meta scans being more and more, uh, you know, prevalent. You can tell that the next, next version of Unreal is going to be really power to the people. You know, I think what, you know, like where an average Unreal 4 user will be able to create for you, you need a really good Unreal Engine person to design an Unreal uh, a virtual wall set. But the average 
Unreal user will be able to design a really photorealistic set with Unreal 5 and be able to light it with Lumen. You know, right now you have you don't have bounce cards, you don't have grip items in Unreal 4. Yeah, you know, and to light light it, you can make it look good, but you really need to know what you're doing with volumetrics. You need to do with the atmosphere. You need to do you know, there's a lot of there's a lot to learn to make lighting look really good in Unreal 4. But I think in Unreal Five, where it automatically ray tracing, you know, bounces start working. So when somebody adds a light, suddenly with the way it bounces around the set, it's just going to look much more real without having to like understand how to fake making it look real, you know. Right. Yeah, which is the same as how offline visual effects evolved too. And there was lots of faking it initially as that that technology came up, and um, there was no indirect lighting there was all of that stuff which is now being implemented in real time has already kind of gone through that cycle in offline but now the, the sort of magic that's happening is the fact that it can be run in real time which is to me it's absolutely bonkers that that's even possible still even though i've been in it in the industry for a long time it still just blows me away the the, the fact that this is now possible and yeah the i think we've we've only begun to explore what's possible but uh but you've got you've had some really great experiences in in the middle of uh the, the sort of genesis of of this um technology and method it's not like you said already it's not necessarily that all of these things are, are brand new but there's an evolution of uh, a bunch of the pieces some new and then some techniques which are like the the uh, an image being behind some action is something that goes back almost 100 years but yeah now we're in this position where we're able to put a camera in front of that and move it and have it make sense and a bunch of other things as well so but you've been you've been in a, a really interesting um spot to be able to to kind of jump in and, and really you know like hack going back to your early days maybe kind of hack your way through with the other people who are or do, everybody's doing the same thing i love the fact that it's been this great leveler you know there's all of the yes. people that have been around been the gatekeepers of all of these environments for so long suddenly they're not anymore necessarily they have to have to everybody has to kind of talk on the same level it's brought it's brought a lot of kind of opportunity i think and humility back to the art form oh, absolutely so, absolutely absolutely yeah i got into um i got brought into um a virtual production with um you know, I had, you know, all my years coming up and, and gaffing and all of that, I did a ton of green screen work. You know, I did like, you know, titles for, you know, Mission Impossible movies and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and did a lot of like green screen replacement on movies like Surf Girl, you know, uh, where we're, you know, replacing faces, we're using skateboards underneath surfboards to like do replacements. So, you know, I've been in the realm for a very long time. You know, and I've seen what works and I've seen what works with lighting, you know, and I've watched the evolution of green screens being like 1995, where you're using a, you know, a, 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 a lavender net to get a quarter of a stop off of the green corner. So it'll comp out. And now it's pretty much, you know, you just blast it with light and you're like, yeah, it's fine. They'll comp it out. We had a job where Sarah Palin came in and she was supposed to be wearing blue jeans and flannel. So we had done a, a 270 degree green screen for this like super complex crane shot for this intro to her TV show. And she shows up and she's like, no, 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 no. I want to wear my hunting outfit. And we're like, you mean the green on green, green one. hunting? And we're <laughs> like, uh, and the, the, we were just like, well, 
put her in there let's see and so they threw her up on the stage and then the guy the, the visual effects guy is like yeah the green's different enough we can comp it out no problem ever do it you know and that was right. the first time i had seen like that level of advancement in green screen technology being able to extract subtleties but uh there's always yeah. a way even if you you're basically saying that you're gonna roto this at the end like at the end of the production there the there's a there's this a story i remember hearing about uh I think it was, um, I forget which movie and which director now, but uh, somebody, I think, it, I think it was George Lucas saying, you know, they, they were shooting in the rain and it was supposed to not be in the rain and he's saying, well, it's okay, we'll paint, we'll paint the rain out later, which is fine when you're on set as a decision to make flippantly, but then that, that ends up on someone, some poor artist's desk <laughs> one day, like, I have to do what? Um, <laughs> So there's a, there's there's always a sort of manual way out of those those problems I guess but what what this the power of of all of this uh like you were saying with Mandalorian and, and TV the world of TV the volume of material that you have to get through in that kind of world means that you can't do those kinds of things those things are those those fixes are only really the domain of high budget or you know feature type of thing whereas in, in this uh this kind of in tv especially especially where you're trying to get lots of volume out or just do a feature and punch above your weight and have a whole feature length of material but for a lower budget than maybe you would before like it's a it's a really it's a really interesting space i think because i think there's so much misconception uh, about what virtual production is and the you know teaching it i've try and explain that it's lots of things and it's different bits of things that you can put together in different ways but it isn't any one thing in particular but do you do you have kind of like a a, a philosophy on it from or how you would describe it to to say a client who's wanting to use it but not quite sure when and where and how yeah 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 you know to to me you know virtual virtual production is a is a toolbox of tools that can be employed in a lot of different ways, right? So the the toolbox of tools is you have you know Unreal Engine, which allows you to do three dimensional photorealistic sets at a reasonable price compared to other visual effects in the past, right? With smaller teams than you used to need to do those kind of sets, and those. Then you have a a uh, programs like you know Moses, you know hardware solutions like Moses, which allow you to track a camera movement and tie that camera movement to a virtual camera, so that the live action and the background all play together nicely. Um, and it has to do with um, three dimensional lighting, and uh, so like you can use the tools for a lot of different things. Like in the last year, we've had jobs come up like with uh, Engine Room, where, you know, we're getting asked to come up with a pitch for, um, you know, companies like Walmart that are doing um, employee training. They're doing it on, you know, 3D headsets, and they just want a, a three-dimensional rough illustration of the store but being able to go over and show people how to stock shelves and have people, you know, choose things 
Um, and then the other thing they did the training for was they would have you talk to an animatronic customer, but the animatronic customer was done with mocap. So when he's getting angry, the bone structure of this animatronic person that you're talking to is getting angry like a customer that would be angry, right? And then it records your voice and then it flips it around. And then you have to sit there as the customer looking at a wireframe of you with your recorded voice talking back to you. And it was an extraordinary training experience using Unreal Engine virtual production. Cause you're like, wow, oh, I sounded really inauthentic there. And oh, that was actually really, you know, truthful. You're like, oh, this is a really amazing, you know, and there's a thing, you know, so virtual production for employee training videos, right? And then, the, you know, the other job I had was, um, uh, you know, my my good friend, David Prescott, who's the producer on Mr. Spam, works uh, over at DNEG. Um, he brought me in to help with the digital, he brought me on as the digital cinematographer for Mr. Spam. And they had, a, you know, David had put together an extraordinarily talented group of people um, you know, the artists, the, the lighting riggers, they were all very, very talented. Um, a good chunk of them had come from 2D animation. And then uh, David had realized we could really have some advancements in animation by using Unreal to do high-end, you know, quality animation. And you know, he was working very closely with Epic Games, you know, we were breaking the engine on a daily basis and Epic Games was incredibly engaged in helping us and helping develop the tools and listening to our feedback about where they need to go with other tools. And, um, but a lot of the two-dimensional animators weren't used to being in a three-dimensional workspace. Now it's not about drawing the little sliver of light here. You have to know where to put that light you know, it's like it needs to go three feet back and six feet up. And okay, I need a light that's 20 feet wide and 400 feet long. And, you know, I want 18K lights out every window, creating a harder backlight so we get a little more edge definition. You know, and when I, first, uh, I hadn't worked in the virtual space um, like that until, you know, Mr. Spam. And that's where I came in. And I, they, I, you know, I was like, David called me. He was like, hey, we want you to come in and do this. We think you're the guy. And I was like, I've not done animation lighting, but if you have a vision on that I can do it, I'm happy to show up and give it a run. And then when I got into it, like, you know, we, we did the interview and I started asking questions in the interview process when I was meeting the team. I was like, can we make the lights invisible? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's good. And I was like, can I design any light I want, any shape or size? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I can have full control over the colors. I can, you know, have filtrations. Well, we don't have filtrations yet, but we can adjust qualities. I was like, okay. And it's like, we don't have bounce cards. Like, oh, you don't. I was like, all right, but we can make smaller lights that are softer. I was like, yeah, okay. And then like, oh, sometimes the reflectivity that you're trying to get out of a light, we will do that on the model, not on the light side. You know, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so like in checking out, like asking what my capabilities were, you know, they realized pretty quick that I was going to be the right call. So we, we had a really great time working on that. Um, I did a few lighting fixes. You know, the lighting gaffer was so incredibly talented. Like that team did a lot of the heavy lifting before I even showed up to make a few final adjustments. And, you know, there was one or two camera uh, issues. You know, we, there was a scene where the bad guys were introduced but they had the lead character close to camera and they had the bad guys far away on a prime lens. So they looked really small. And I was like, we either need to switch to a telephoto lens to exaggerate the size of the bad guys, 
or we need to change the blocking in the camera over to here because he wants to look small in frame and we want these three thugs to dominate the frame. And that was in a perfect example of where switching from traditional animation pipeline to virtual production pipeline and animation, you got, you know, one guy, one woman or guy is doing three seconds of animation for a year, right? And right. there's no changing a camera angle. There's no, you know, switching lenses after you start. If you if you blow it in, in, in pre-production, it's in the movie and that's it. You've made the call. And here we could get into it. We could work it. And you're like, oh, you know what? We were watching it now. I'd like to make a note as a director. You want the director to be able to change blocking. You want the director to be able to like redo a scene and re-render it with a little different emphasis. And, you know, we're, we're doing subtle, delicate, emotional work with cameras and lights. And you need to be able to play, you know, and uh, the previous pipeline rewarded, you know, playing your hits. Don't experiment, right? Like, you know, it's too dangerous. Now with Unreal Engine, you can really play. You can try out something, you know? And then, and then, so that was animation, right? And then there's virtual production where we're doing the traditional Mandalorian three-dimensional wall parallaxing as you move and the camera's moving. So like those are three vastly different projects, you know, an animated piece, a live action piece, you know, uh, an Oculus Rift 3D piece, but all of them are using virtual production. All of them are using Unreal Engine. All of them are using 3D lighting applied in a virtual space. You know, a lot of times matching 3D lighting in, in meat space. So yeah, I find that fascinating. It's so, it's so modular, you know? With, with Unreal, um, talking about that for a second, you are obviously around um, working in projects that are using Unreal Engine, but you've also, used it directly hands-on yourself i know that you've been through the unreal fellowship um but you also you know use it you can you speak a little bit to how as a cinematographer um in addition to working with a big project like a, a dna project where they're, they're using that you may not be as hands-on with the engine in that kind of environment but as a filmmaker um thinking about it from this maybe the slightly more indie perspective or just from your perspective, maybe trying experimenting with things or how is Unreal um, useful to your your process? You know, um, you know, that was a really interesting. We had that conversation on Mr. Spam, right? It was like, hey, uh, how much effort should I be putting into learning Unreal Engine? Uh, should I be, you know, logging in and using Unreal to help with the physical moving of the lights and all of that? In that instance, you know, uh, uh, David and I, you know, uh, David Prescott and I discussed what they needed from me. And really what they needed from me in that project was my years doing live action beauty lighting and understanding of three-dimensional where you place lights and the quality of the light and the, and the shape and size of the light. You know, so, um, you know, I, I helped introduce some shadows, I adjusted some of the um, brightness, a little bit of the contrast, you know, I'd break up hard parts with sh tree shadows, um, I add bounce cards in to add a little more dimensionality, um, some of the backgrounds were touch dark. And, and mind you, like that team did 95% of the lighting, the, their, their work is amazing. They were such a beautiful team to work with. But, you know, just I had a few high-end beauty tricks that I knew from being just a cinematographer, and that's all I did, you know? So my contribution was that. And 
the the virtual gaffer, uh, you know, Bobby was extraordinary. So he didn't need me to come in and help him move lights around. He was already extraordinarily fast and he already would pre-light a set and it would be so well done ahead of time, you know, that I was just doing tweaks, which is, which is really beautiful, you know, and it's a, it's a testament to David to be able to pick extraordinary teams. But after that project, um, they have some features that are coming up. And I think, you know, David's a very, you know, smart producer. And with the short film, you know, he's developing his team. And so he wanted to see how I would work with the team and how I would, how interested I was in the, the digital cinema world. And um, after that, I was like, you know, I'm all in. This is amazing. This is so fun. Like, I don't have to have like a producer yelling at me that I just ordered five 18Ks because the scene called for it. I literally, during our first lighting session, started laughing out loud on the Zoom call. <laughs> they were like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, this is heaven. This is a dream. <laughs> I could do anything I want with lighting anytime with nobody telling me, no, I can't have that light. And I don't need to get five extra crew members because I need condors. And like, you know, I'm like, this is great. And I was like, this is so fun. You know, and they laughed. We're just like, this is, this is great. And then um, they offered me the uh, Unreal Engine Fellowship that Epic was doing. You know, we were working so closely with them. They were, they were kind enough to, you know, see my enthusiasm and my, my joy in it. And um, they offered me to come in and take five weeks off and, you know, gave me the stipend. So, you know, I had a couple of commercials and I called my buddies and was like, hey, I have this once in a lifetime opportunity get in the fellowship that fellowship is so hard to get into you know it's like if only like 400 people have been through it in the entire industry you know so and I, I really I love learning and I really wanted to learn Unreal Engine I knew that to be a cinematographer in a space the linchpin of making things look good you really need to understand Unreal Engine you know, and that's one of the things I've said with you is, you know, you know, I brought several cinematographers to your uh, CG pro classes because, you know, not everybody can, you know, be in that, that, that cohort that, you know, Unreal Engine, you know, Epic Games will let you into the, the pearly gates and the, the incredible training. You know, you guys are the, the ones who, who really train where it's like, hey, I've got two grand in eight weeks, you know, eight weekends. Where I can come and learn, you know, and you, you do a really quality job of training people and cinematographers and gaffers working in that lighting space and working with unreal really need to get trained up on it. You know, I need as a, as a, as a cinematographer, I need to be able to get the set before I show up on set. I need to see the virtual set weeks before I need to be able to load it up on unreal engine. I need to be able to do my virtual tech scout, take some screen grabs and be like, Hey, the cave looks great this way, but I'm going to turn the camera like that for the reverses. And there's nothing there, but a concrete wall. I need the cave to be over here too. And I need the cave to have a side wall over here so I can shoot that way, you know? And, uh, oh, here's, here's a photo of the props. They, the art department person changed props and they didn't tell you. So those tables that are blue need to be green and they need to be wicker. And here's a still of that. Go, go, go create that asset that'll match our physical prop. You know, oh, hey, you know, this thing looks terrible during daylight like that. Let's add a bunch of clouds. Let's add a little atmospheric mist. I want the sun to be at, at the 10 o'clock position, not the 3 p.m. position for our filming. And then the nighttime scene, I need more background lights. Let's add lights in those. And those are the kind of things that a cinematographer needs to know how to operate Unreal on a basic level. It's not a lot to be able to just turn the Unreal Engine on 
load up the scene and then tool around with your, you know, WASD keys and pick a spot. You know, that's, that's, that's something you can learn in two hours with a, with a, you know, friend and a, and a cinematographer needs to be able to do that. But then also to have the language of how Unreal Engine describes things, you know, it helps a lot if you're able to realize you're dealing with a reflection issue on a model versus a lighting issue, you know, and as a, as a, as a cinematographer untrained in Unreal, you're going to miss a lot. You're not going to be, your hands are tied, at least one, one hand's tied behind your back if you haven't been able to load up the set before walking to set. Right. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it, I, it really helps, like, save, save a lot of time once you get to set because you've already prepared yourself. You've, you've also been able to explore opportunities before you get to set and understand some of the things that are going to be possible that you maybe wouldn't have found till you got on set but now you know that they they exist and so just being a lot a lot more prepared more creative more yes. um be able to integrate between the two which is uh between visual effects people and filmmakers which has always been a uh, a bit of a disconnect um so this being able to be be fluent or or at least proficient in unreal as a filmmaker which before it was kind of inaccessible because you'd have to spend a couple of years learning maya or something to be oh, able to yeah. tool around in 3d now it's you can actually jump in what you're saying is you can jump in with relatively little training and and be and have it really really improve your workflow yeah well like you know like you know i i do continuing education always you know as a cinematographer you know new cameras new lighting techniques new, new you know so the american cinematography does you know classes for cinematography that are you know a thousand to three thousand dollars with industry leading experts you know and it's like thank god they do that so that there's some form of access to that knowledge in a cogent presented way you know and you guys do a great job with that you know you you put together uh a program where you know people can just show up on Sunday mornings and you know in on on eight consecutive weeks you know have a Tuesday night and have a, a Sunday morning class and by the end of eight weeks you know you've gone from knowing nothing about virtual production to really having a good overview of it being functional for virtual tech scouting uh, rudimentary language to talk lighting with your lighting riggers you know, and, and see the workflow and, and know, know what you need to ask as a cinematographer going into a virtual production shoot, you know, who's my unreal artist? How soon can I see their work? What other work have they done? You know, who's my unreal wall tech, you know, what else, what are the shows have they worked on? You know, that's pretty, it's very interesting, you know, and it's a daunting field because, um, if you're talking specifically working on a video wall with Unreal Engine running and capturing a live actor in front of that, you know, you have a lot of moving parts and you have a, a team that is outside of a normal cinematographer's realm of phone calls, you know, and, and thanks to that Unreal Fellowship, you know, I, I met, you know, my cohort was 70 industry professionals that were amazing they were so talented it was so exciting being put into a group and you know you make your own animated piece and coming out of that they not only gave me the knowledge epic games not only gave me the knowledge on how to use unreal engine they gave me a network like they just jump-started my my career because now i have a i have a houdini expert who's a good friend of mine now you know i have a unreal expert who i hire as a troubleshooter 
you know, a lot of virtual productions will just, well, we have this lot and that's lot. When I work on a virtual production, I'm like, you need to send a check uh, for a thousand bucks to this buddy of mine. And he's going to be our, um, our, uh, our, our lifeline caller. Like what, why are we doing that? It's like, trust me, you know, it lives overseas. He's going to wake up within a 20 minutes of a text and he's going to answer whatever problem we have that we don't know we're going to have. And he's going to solve it. And people are like, that seems, I'm like, look, I'm not taking the job unless you hire my guy. And they're like, okay. And every job, three phone calls. And it's like, yeah, we rebuilt this the wrong. The config file from the very beginning was built wrong by an artist. And now I, I can rebuild it. It's going to take me three hours, but this is why it's crashing on your wall. And you didn't find out till two days before the show and everybody's freaking out and pulling their hair. And I'm like, you need the guy who's busy doing this stuff, who can't come on set every day and be there for 12 hours, but he's got the answer to why is this, this problem happening? So, you know, like I've got a network that makes me a much better cinematographer on live action productions with, with video walls, because I know who to call when something's not working. When it comes to video walls, it's like Millennium Falcon technology. It's repurposed video wall jumbotron screens that are now being used for virtual production. You know, it's broadcast tracking for motion graphics that is now being repurposed for tracking a camera, talking to a virtual camera in Unreal Engine. It's a video game engine that's designed for first person shooter games that's now being repurposed as a virtual film set tool none of these items were originally a film set item. So none of these have the advantage of integrated manufacturing. None of them have integrated personnel. You know, the person who knows how to run the servers for the video wall has no idea a lot of times what's happening under the hood with Unreal Engine 4. You know, an Unreal Engine doesn't know what's happening with the live motion camera. You know, these tools are still in their, you know, infancy. You know, they're getting yeah. there, but you know, you need, you need technicians who really understand things and are really, you know, you want the guy who does nothing but cinematography running your cinematography. You want the guy who does nothing but Unreal Engine really running your Unreal Engine on set. You know, you want the, 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 the video wall tech who that's my job. I just do video walls. You know, it's a field where some budgets try and get generalists to kind of sneak by. And it's, you know, nowadays in filmmaking and live action, the cameras are so good. The lighting is so good. DaVinci Resolve is so good. You know, mid-level and beginner level players can make big mistakes and correct them easily or be able to get good looks out of mediocre footage, right? You can, you can shoot with really kind of not so great lighting, but in post they can use power windows and you can fix it, right? That, that's, that's a very mature, you know, very late game version of cinematography. And that's great. I love that those tools are there. I love that people can make mistakes on set and be corrected in post. Virtual production is at the very beginning of its stage. And it is absolutely crucial that you get the right team. And it's absolutely crucial that you do the right work in pre-production. Everything happens in pre-production when it comes to virtual production. You know, you have to have it all dialed in, know what you're shooting, know the artist, know the time scales. And then when you walk on set, that's the final step in the process. 
you know, and I think some of our filmmakers were so used to being, well, the film set is the first part of the process, then it's handed to post and the artists and the cleanup and the editors and the colorists, you know, now when I go into light of a video wall, I am live color grading. Whereas usually the colorist is doing a bunch of the color grading. I now have an Unreal Engine set that might have a fiery sci-fi planet with, you know, pinks and hues. We're no longer in a color palette of, you know, tungsten to daylight, you know, it's now a color palette of, you know, RGB. So my lighting units need to be RGB to be able to replicate the light that's coming from the wall. You know, so my, my tools are much more demanding and the quality of the lighting that I'm doing on the person to make the, the, the visual effects sell, you know, you have to get the angles, right. You have to get the quality of the light to match. You have to get the cues of what's happening on the screen behind matching what's happening with the live action lights on the actor. So it's very technically demanding, you know, and I, I, you know, it's, and it goes, you know, the, the, the work, you, you save yourself a lot of problems on a virtual production set by being really good at pre-production, you know? I'd love, love to, excuse me, I'd love to ask you a bit about the uh, lighting season you mentioned that, particularly to do with LED walls, because I know that the, a lot of people <clears throat> have a perception that once you've got the LED wall, that that's, you've got your lighting for free and you're done. Uh, and I know that that's not the case. And I'd love to hear your, um, your take on that. Cause obviously you are, you, that's, uh, where you, you came, you grew up in lighting, you know, lighting extremely well. Um, I know lighting has evolved a lot during your career as well into this, this RGB DMX position that it's in now yeah. with LEDs and supposed to crazy hot, uh, big <laughs> giant bulbs <laughs> and, and but but this uh, this idea of um, that you're speaking of being being able to get it needing to get it right on stage, yeah. um, and and how, how much in your experience do you get from the wall, um, and does it depend on the the consistency of the wall, the the orientation of the panels, the quality of the panels? Do you need extra lights? I know you do, but. Yeah, I'd love to hear so, your take yeah, on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, sp I'll speak to the you know how much what uh, let's 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 quantify what lighting comes from the wall. So yeah. one of the hardest things to do in special effects in selling a uh, virtual environment being combined with a live action environment, the wall does a very important part of selling it, and that is subtle changes in light in the reflective quality of the skin and the metal objects and the reflective objects worn on the person or in the window of the cars around, right? So where on a green screen shoot where I have to put a person in their driving and uh, they're going to put trees behind it, I have to work really hard using flags and lights and soft lights, hard lights, I've built lighting rigs where lights are on a pivot point and, you know, I got a 20 foot piece of speed rail that I'm spinning around and it has two lights that are just doing the street light simulator coming over the person. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, 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 I had in the past have gone to great lengths to do very subtle lighting cues on the face. And that's what separates 
you know, the amateurs from the stone cold professionals in selling lighting for visual effects. The wall will give me a lot of that. The Mandalorian, the wall, he's in a metal reflective suit. One of the most nightmarish concepts to film with a green screen because you yeah. just get green screen reflection everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. So what a nightmare. So to give it a video wall and to have all the reflections in his suit playing as they should, that's amazing. So soft lighting, it'll give you some gentle soft lighting. It will give you environmental lighting, right? So I have to work a lot less with gag lighting on video walls than I used to on a green screen. So great for that. It will not do hard lighting. It will not do lighting that doesn't originate from outside of the wall behind them. So the light only comes from either the side panels or the back panel, you know, and yep. unless you're working on a really, really high end stage that has a, a video wall topper, you know, the average video wall stage is, you know, 20 to 35,000 a day, the stages that have the video wall overhead, that's the $90,000 a day soundstage video yep. wall stage. So the, the thing that you need to know if you're going into lighting uh, a virtual set is you need, you need some RGB soft lights and you need some RGB hard lights and you need to know, and you need to be able to get them in a 360 degree area around your subject so that it can give the feeling of coming from the direction that the video wall is, is showing. It doesn't actually have to be the actual direction. It just needs to be perceived as coming from that direction, you know? So, yeah. and you know, like sometimes you'll have a candle in the background and like it's flickering and doing a thing and it would never actually read on your face here, but because it's so visually present in the scene or the torch, you know, you put a, another light way over here closer, just out of screen and have it kick a little bit of yellow into a shadow side from the key man, the second you see that and that, it just, your brain just stitches it all together. So like, you know, but the light isn't coming from here. It's coming from back behind them. But like your eye sees it and you see something here. And so, you know, the magic, you know, it's, it's the night they remember. It's not the night they actually lit. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? So, but yeah, you need, you need hard light and you, any, any type of hard light supposedly emanating from your video wall will only shine soft light and it will only throw, it'll fall off pretty quick. So, you know, the further away you get from the wall, you're back to needing to do all of the lighting, you know? Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and speaking, speaking of that, I think there's a lot of people, especially from the, uh, the visual effects community that have spent more of their time in kind of um, a disconnected environment, not on stage. <clears throat> no, VFX supervisors and CG supervisors sometimes get to go on set. But with virtual production, more more people are getting to go on set and have interaction. Um, but for, for people who haven't, um, I've been lucky in my time to get to spend quite a lot of time on set. Um, and I've learned a lot from being around cinematographers and uh, about how they approach um, camera positioning and lens choice and lighting choices and those kinds of things. But for someone who hasn't um, had that luxury, do you have any kind of advice that you would give someone about learning, learning about cinematography, um, I guess? Because it's useful for 
uh, visual effects artists and independent filmmakers? Yeah, um, you know, uh, you're one of the people who's taught me, you know, always hit the fundamentals, mm. you know, so um, focus, you know, the first thing is uh, for, for learning lighting, um, start by being a study of the lighting you encounter out in the world. And when you see something that you like, you know, you're with a friend, you're having a sandwich down on Larchmont, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, he, he looks really well lit right now. Look <laughs> at what lights are creating that and look at what qualities and what angles are creating that lighting. You know, so for in that instance, with the sandwich shop, I was like, oh, I'm in a, a, a dark kind of cave with a few little pin lights that do just enough to create a little hair light. And the massive, you know, 40 foot by 40 foot window in the front that had a little frosting on it was creating this extraordinary Rembrandt lighting on the scene. And I'm like, I could recreate that with a 20 foot by 20 foot, you know, um, bleach muslin and a really powerful light banging through it. And it would create this incredibly soft diffuse, but very wide. So the wrap on the light looks amazing you know, and, or like, oh, hey, you know, I, I have a friend in Palm Springs and like, you know, my dog was sitting at the edge of the pool and I was like, oh my God, this is like the best lighting setup I have ever seen in my life. What's happening? It was like hard sunlight hitting off of a mirrored glass wall, creating a back kick. The back kick splashed into the pool. The pool waves created a, a, a wave effect. So I literally had one light one reflector and then a, a third a third a second reflector and i had the perfect lighting setup you know and i've recreated that lighting setup on film sets now where it's just like big powerful light that and that kick you know and people are like where did you get that and was like mother nature handed it to me just happenstance you know so so pay attention to the directionality and the quality of the lights is it hard light is it soft light you know, what angle, how would I replicate that? What, what units would replicate that on set, you know, and our sensors on our cameras are so delicate. Now, you know, we can shoot at 800 ASA. We, you know, some of the cameras can shoot at 5,000 ASA, you know, if you really need to like dig into, you know, units being able to do things and where I used to have to have a 20 K to get a hard light feeling, you know, I can do that with a, you know, a 2 K LED now. You know, so the, the barrier to entry is much lower. You know, you can get a much cheaper lighting kit and have the same results that, you know, back when we were shooting ASA 50, you know, and doing like, you know, from dusk till dawn, you know, you're like 18K, 18K, 5K, yeah. four feet from his head with a with the thing, an actor going like this, car scene <laughs> melting their face. Like, I can't even freaking drive the car. I'm going to crash this thing, you know, <laughs> like, okay, we'll put another layer of diffusion. <laughs> yeah, the tools are so much more uh, forgiving now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then the next thing I would say is, uh, you know, sign up for some of our courses. You know, we teach a course in, in, in cinematography that's a, you know, a two day course that we've been getting a lot of a lot of positive feedback and, you know, have students yep. who call up now, you know, and, they, you know, do something that that gets somebody to teach you the fundamentals 
and you know they at least give you an overview so then as you start punching in you can go deeper but like get the overview first you know right. and there's you know there's youtube videos that are good for for lighting you know and there's a you know there's a lot of there's a lot of resources out there that have like 10 minute tutorials you know yeah i guess there's a, there's nothing like uh experience and being able to be on set like we discussed being being there in that environment you're going to learn ton but yeah being able to um benefit from some of the online education that's there and this wasn't meant to be a shameless plug but shameless plug um yes we've we're going to redo the lighting and cinematography workshop coming up very early this year and we're going to do an extended version of that um into q1 um really really looking forward to working with you on that again um yeah thank you uh, for the opportunity to teach you know so you know when you guys asked me to teach a master class in lighting it was like sure i'll i'll try i don't know you know it's like am i repeating rehash stuff or this but like it 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 made me a better cinematographer to codify it in my head and then be able to express it there's a ton of things i was doing kind of instinctively and just naturally that i picked up but like to explain that process to somebody else made me really you know re-examine my process and it also made me a little more limber you know, just going through the process of, uh, of teaching, you know, making sure I was being thorough on, on goalpost to goalpost. Here's what you really needed to do. It reminded me to like, not just play the hits when I was on set, you know, like experiment a little bit or like, oh, you know what? I, I, this could work and it's quick and easy, but like, it's a little harder, but it actually looks a little better if I do this other strategy. And you know what? Let's just, we're here to make it look really good. Not just, you know, get a paycheck, you know? Right. So, yeah. Those, those classes really help. Like, yeah, definitely. You know, if you can, you know, especially for what we're doing, cause we're offering something that's really cool where it's like, you want to learn how to light an unreal engine. We'll teach you how to light. And then we'll teach you how to translate that lighting into unreal engine. We'll give you some composition ideas and all of that. You know, there's, there's very few places where you can get, you know, that kind of knowledge that quickly, you know, it was just, no, it's just a- like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Amazing to work with you on that because not only do you have all of that experience from the real world, um, you're able to translate it in. You have you have the understanding of being able to translate it into the the Unreal Engine and into CG world, which I think is where where a lot of us from the CG world have <clears throat> have not had as much of that influence. We've lit a lot of things, but yeah. having that experience of real world lighting and bringing that in to this space, I think, e- even though we're talking about Lumen and getting all of the mm-hmm. indirect stuff for free or whatever it's still you're making conscious choices about uh, what light you're you're keeping or what light you're adding um that 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 idea of of um you know mentioned flags which probably uh, a lot of people will know what they are some people don't know the fact that all there's all this stuff going on on set where you're you're subtracting light you're you're taking light away and masking it off and those classic movies that you see where just the eyes are lit and the rest of it's shadowed like you think Mm -hmm. wow that was lucky until you meet a gaffer and you realize that they put some very intentional things in in the way to create that intentionally consciously and i think that's the sort of magic of, of it to me is knowing that you know there's somebody making those choices and intentionally yeah it's 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 amazing how people talk about lighting but the masters know that it's lighting and shadow. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, um, yeah. Deacons master of the shadow, 
right? So where do I want the shadows in my scene as much as where do I want the lights in my scene? You know, and there's, there's, there, lighting is a daunting thing to learn. I still approach every lighting setup. When I walk on set, I come with a beginner's mindset. You know, I just, it's humbling. Like, you know, I'm good, but like, there, there's always something to learn, you know, don't, don't just come in. And the guys who are like, oh, I'm so good. All I do, you know, they're the dudes who were great for a time period, but then they know they didn't stay up with the gear and they didn't stay up with the, you know, fashion lighting is fashionable. And there are things that come in and out of fashion and there's technologies that require a certain lighting style that then are not required anymore. And you can be aggressive and cutting edge. You know, a great example is when we went over to the digital revolution, soft light, very few edge lights, the digital cameras in 2000 didn't have very much dynamic range like film did. So you couldn't light, you know, Pulp Fiction with an 18K blasting in window and creating a cool edge here and a fill light. You can't do that digital. And in 2002, you'd have to do a soft Kino flow without diffusion and a Kino flow with heavy diffusion to get that same look without it blowing out and looking terrible. So the sensors drove the lighting for a while, which is a terrible thing to have happen, but you know, you just work with the tools you're given and you do the lighting that's required for the, the make it look good, do whatever it takes, make the thing look good. And then when camera sensors evolved, some of those gaffers just kept doing that schlocky stuff. And we were all tired of looking at soft lighting after a while, you know, when they invented the Kino flow and it came out, you know, it was amazing. Like, oh, spaceships look like spaceships and this futuristic soft lighting and like, oh, it's great. You know, and then it was like, oh, everything's soft. And now you're like, there's no definition here. And then a hard edge became edgy, you know, so you see lighting styles come in fashion and go out of fashion. They come back in fashion and you got to know where you are and you got to know what set you're on. You know, am I on beauty lighting? Or am I on like glamour lighting or am I on natural just happen to walk into this beauty lighting that's beautiful, you know, like, yeah, so, but um, there's no, you know, there's, there's no way to do it, but to just kind of pound through 20 years of being on set to really get good at the, the process, you know, some of the process of the lighting is where's your key light, just turn everything else off, get all of these lights off. Let me just see my key light. Let me move that key light around until it looks great. And now I've got my heavy lifting done, turn off the key light. What angle do I want the fill light to do? Do I want it to be horror underlit a little? Do I want it to be side light simulating a, a window here that you can't see? So I'm using a light to create an architectural element. Do I want that to just be a backlight? And do I want this to be dark shadow? Yeah, I want a dark shadow here because color's in. So now I'm going to add a fill color from the LED light. And to see color on a face, you need to first put a shadow on the face. And then when the shadow's there, then the color will show, you know, so we, you know, our class will teach things like that, you know, and these are like, you know, the, the how to's as much as, you know, you know, why are you doing stuff? And then you can go into the nuances of a million different lighting setups. But if you have the fundamentals of what's your approach to your lighting setup, how do you mentally organize it? And, you know, what are you trying to do? One of the other things we do a lot with shadows is as people are walking on virtual sets and you have like columns or, or beams in your virtual set, you know, have them walk under a shadow and that little shadow just sells the environment. Even though you're not seeing the beam over their head, you're suggesting it with shadow, you know, so you're not only doing lighting, you're doing architectural tie-ins. You're, you're making the world exist outside of the box 
of the frame you know right yeah and, and it's, it's a it's uh all in service of the story right you're yes. you're working with a, a director to make sure that you're sticking to telling a story with with these tools that these are that's the point of of using these conscious decisions is to evoke a feeling or absolutely yeah absolutely the one of the things i say in our class is uh you know the the lighting is one of the lead characters in the movie that has no dialogue yeah but you're getting emotions from it you're getting information from it you're seeing you're concealing you know you're getting time of day you know, you're getting the emotional content, you know, different colors will have different emotional impacts on people, you know, so in my lighting designs, I, you know, I've read, read deep on, you know, the emotional content of color theory, different colors evoke different emotions from us, you know, so it's like, you know, cleverly hiding little elements of those kind of colors in your setup really do a lot to, you know, drive the narrative of the story forward, you know, bring that emotional content alive, much like the music does, you know, the music does a lot yeah. of emotional lifting too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I love those little tests they do where they take the like the uh, the last scene in Star Wars or whatever. They take the music out and it just all of a sudden doesn't work at all. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, or yeah. like when I'm on set and I'm adding a little special light in the closet, you know, and the director's like, "Where's where's that light coming from?" And it's like it's coming from the same place the scary music is coming from. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the art. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a there's a point where the science can get in the way, and you have yeah. to you have to employ the art. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We have a, we have one question that came yes. in. Um, somebody asked, "What is the best way for a DP to find virtual production jobs or work?" That's a great question. Um, the first place that all of your jobs come from as a cinematographer is you talking about what you're doing. So your jobs as a cinematographer come from your community of friends and coworkers who know you do good work, right? That's where every job you ever get is going to come from. So your conversation creates your reality when it comes to jobs. So when I started doing virtual uh, cinematography, you know, I started sharing posts on uh, my social media feeds about like, oh, look at this cool virtual lighting thing. Oh, look at this um, cool still from this. You know, this is a fake wall and I would do a little breakdown, you know, or, you know, just in person. Hey, what are you doing this week? Oh, you know, I'm doing this really interesting thing. Like I'm being, uh, working on an animated short film and people are like, I thought you were, you know, doing cinematography. I was like, I am, I'm just doing it an animation project right now, you know? And so people were like, oh, you know, Wolfie's doing that kind of work now you know, and then because I was making those posts, a guy I worked with for 25 years, you know, had no idea I was doing it. And I made a post. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm working on this virtual production. He's like, dude, we've been looking for three months for uh, somebody who knew unreal engine. We don't know anybody. We got this client that wants to do this thing with Walmart. You know, do you know anybody? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I do Ed, <laughs> expert in Unreal Engine, and I've been talking to him. So yeah, and then like, you know, we had you come in and do a, a budget bid, you know, and it was like, you were just absolutely the right guy to bring in, you know, and they were so happy. 
So, you know, and that's how, you know, I knew you did it, you know, so until I started talking about the fact that I was doing virtual production, my network that was ready with jobs waiting to hire me didn't know to call me because why would they? Because I hadn't been doing it before, right? And then when you're doing your jobs, you know, find what, what, you know, pay attention to your NDAs, but ask your producers, like, can I take a photo not looking at the talent of the wall? And can I, after, after the commercial is out, can I put a thing that shows that? And they're like, oh yeah, after the commercial's out, no problem. Don't post anything before. Or they'll be like, no, this is like proprietary on this wall, but you can take a photo of the set, but just look at the lights. That's, that's fine, you know? But being able to post those things, showing you doing the work, showing you on the set, you know, the more people around you know what you're doing, the more you'll get that work. So that's the first step. The second step is do your homework. Don't sell yourself until you can actually do the job. So, you know, start taking classes, you know, take, take a CG pro class, you know, uh, take, um, you know, look at free training classes on Epic games, you know, uh, seek out people that are working in the space that are friends of yours, take them to lunch, ask them what they learned, ask them about their nightmare shoots that they're not going to hear on Facebook. Be like, so tell me about the problems. Tell me about the crash and burns. You know, I find that's a really good question because, you know, a friend on set away from everybody will tell you, oh, I was on this job and this guy did this and it totally screwed the whole thing up and we had to go reshoot and like, you're like, oh, wow, I wouldn't have thought of that, you know, so start probing your network, you know, steal your Promethean fire from the people around you who will share their information with you. Be good giving in game in return, share your information back. It's a two-way street. You know, there's teams always win, you know, like the one person with their little piece of figured out knowledge they hold dearly that they don't share with other people. They never last in the industry. We're in a collaborative industry. There's all the jobs. People are always going to work, you know, like don't come at it with that scarcity mindset, come at the learning with an abundance mindset. And the more you give away, the more comes back at you. You know, so, you know, as you learn things, help your friends out and that kind of thing. I think that would be the next step. And then the third step is find somebody who's got a green screen, you know, then a Vive tracker that's just, you know, messing around in their garage and go over and light it for them and, you know, show up on set, you know, hey, you got your virtual production buddies that are doing a test. Hey, I'm not working that day. I'm going to go down and I'm going to like, you know, just be on set. And then you're useful because you're moving lights and you help make it look better because you're a cinematographer and, you know, the, oh, wow, that, oh, that helped. It actually was just a lighting issue and we were trying to f- fix it in the background. You know, you're like, yeah, like go and be helpful, you know, and go and hang out in the play spaces, you know, like, you know, uh, Jed Alano has uh, got a really cool space. He's building in Pasadena, you know, and he's open to people coming through and like, you know, he's, he, he prototypes things and, you know, like, you know, so there's all these different places where you can kind of, you know, start getting access to the, to the system, you know? Awesome. Yeah, great. I mean, there's a lot of really great uh, advice for life in general mixed in there. I think so much of this stuff is like, Don't you know, be metaphorical. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good life advice. Don't be a yeah. <laughs> but that absolutely applies here. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sharing that, uh, that advice. Um, I'm sure a lot of people uh, are very curious about what virtual production is. Um, hopefully this did a good job of, of demystifying that a little bit and and are lots of people interested in getting into it and how and uh, there's some great 
great advice there. Thank you yep. so much, Wolfie, for joining us and uh, sharing your time and your wisdom and experience um, with everybody. Oh, absolutely a pleasure. And like uh, only only have the knowledge I have from the, the generosity of all the beautiful people who've taught me throughout the years you know like yeah i rolled into town in 95 you know with a pair of gloves and a mat knife and a crescent wrench and started my journey into film set lighting knowing next to nothing you know so it's like we all we all come from humble beginnings you know so yeah happy happy to share it you know is there any um places that people can follow you and and uh see what you're doing yeah, uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram as Wolfie Dreams. Uh, my website is uh, wolfiedop.com. Uh, uh, that's W-O-L-F-I-E uh, D-O-P.com. That's a great place to get a hold of me if you want to like anybody has questions or that. Um, and yeah, those are those are pretty much my web presence. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Eric Wolfie Wolford, uh, cinematographer. Amazing. Yeah. Well. Hopefully there's a bunch of people out there that will uh, follow you and learn from you and hire you. And yeah, it's been a, a yeah. super, super awesome conversation. I was really looking forward to this. So, oh yeah. And catch us, uh, catch us supposedly in January at Sundance, if that's still going to be happening, you know, if Sundance is still yep. going on. Yeah. So we'll be doing some live demos with uh, Ed and Jackie at Sundance, you know, uh, and that should be neat. So. Yeah. Really looking forward to that. Yeah. 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 And a couple of classes coming up in early, early next year. Uh, yeah. If you're, another if you're, shameless plug. Yeah. No, seriously, if people are interested in, uh, in, in watching a video like this, like really, you know, the classes seem expensive, you know, you're like, Ooh, how many, but it's priceless, like priceless, useful knowledge. You know, you can't, you, if you're going to be working in a virtual production environment, you can't blow a, a, a $50,000 day on a video wall because you just missed one little piece of data, you know, you got to spend the money to get to be a quality person so that when you get the job, you're able to do the job. And there's so much in virtual production, which you don't know, you don't know. It's that fourth quadrant, you know, it's like, you know what you don't know, and you know what you know, but it's that what you don't know, you don't know, and virtual production will eat you alive. <laughs> don't, don't just wing it in that quadrant. <laughs> go, go shine a flashlight into that dark corner, and that's done with online classes. You know, that's the cheapest and fastest way to get good. You know, you look at like Art, Art Lazaro, man, like starts out not knowing anything about Unreal Engine. And then he's like coming out with this three minute piece after eight weeks where he's dipped into Maya, taught himself bits of Maya. And it's this stunningly gorgeous model in this landscape. You know, there's just, you know, it, it, the classes will just turbo boost your talent, you know. It's amazing watching some of the people like Jonathan Paul with his piece, like coming in, yep. nothing, but he's just a visual performance artist and all that, you know, a sculptor and like just in eight weeks has this amazing concept and is like got his little character flying through a cyberpunk city, you know, like the classes are really fun, you know, like they're enjoyable in the process, but then you, you know, you come out of it and you, you really are, you know, it's like spending a year in the trenches at a video game shop doing stuff you know like like you know it really helps i very much enjoy them too and it's amazing to see the things that people are able to accomplish and really really cool that you know we're in this time where people can do that without spending years and years to to acquire it's almost annoying because i had to do that but you know it's great that the people are able to jump in and, and with yeah. much less 
uh, barrier, be able to get in and be creative. I think it's, it's a really, really unique time that we're in, a very exciting one. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Well, thank have you. A good, have a good rest of your Christmas and holidays and all of that. And we'll see you in the new year. Thank you very much, Wolfie. Appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you to all the listeners. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, like and subscribe to follow more of what we're doing. We'll have another one of these in a couple of weeks. Um, follow us at becomecgpro.com to hear more about classes and stuff. And yeah, thank you. Thank you.